Section twenty two of the Shuans by Honore de Balzac. Translated by Ellen Marriage. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bruce Peary. Chapter three G. But this is witchcraft, mademoiselle. Who but you in all the world could take us by surprise like this? Did you really come hither quite alone? asked Madame de Gois quite alone mademoiselle de vernoy repeated so this evening madame you will have only me to kill make allowances for me answered madame du gois i cannot tell you how much pleasure i feel at meeting you again i have been really overwhelmed by the recollection of the wrong i did you and i was seeking for an opportunity which should permit me to atone for it the wrong you did me madame i can readily pardon but the death of the blues whom you murdered lies heavily on my heart i might moreover make some further complaint of the brusque style of your correspondence but after all i forgive everything on account of the service that you have done me madame de gois lost countenance as she felt her hand clasped in that of her lovely rival who was smiling upon her in an offensively gracious manner the marquis had not stirred so far but now he seized the count's arm in a close grip you have shamefully deceived me he said you have even involved my honour i am no comedy dupe i will have your life for this or you shall have mine i am ready to afford you every explanation that you may desire marquis said the count stiffly and they went into an adjoining room even those who were least acquainted with the mystery underlying this scene began to understand the interest that it possessed so that no one stirred when the violins gave the signal for the dancing to begin madame de gois spoke compressing her lips in a kind of fury mademoiselle what service can i have had the honour of rendering of importance sufficient to deserve did you not enlighten me madame as to the marquis de montauran's real nature with what calm indifference the execrable man allowed me to go to my death i give him up to you very willingly then what have you come here to seek madame de gois asked quickly the esteem and the reputation of which you robbed me at the vivetiere madame do not give yourself any uneasiness about anything else even if the marquis were to come back to me a lost love regained is no love at all as you must be aware madame de gois took mademoiselle de vernoy's hand in hers with a charming caressing gesture such as women like to use among themselves especially when men are also present well dear child i am delighted that you are so sensible about it if the service which i have rendered you has been a somewhat painful one at the outset and here she pressed the hand which she held 
though she felt within her a wild longing to tear it in pieces when she found how delicately soft the fingers were at any rate it shall be thorough just listen to me i know the gar's nature well she went on with a treacherous smile he would have deceived you he will not marry any woman nor can he do so ah yes mademoiselle he only accepted his perilous mission in order to win the hand of mademoiselle d'uxelles his majesty has promised to use all his influence to bring the marriage about indeed mademoiselle de vernoy added not a word more to this satirical exclamation the young and handsome chevalier du Vissard, eager to earn her forgiveness for the witticism which had been a signal for the insults that had followed upon it at the vivetiere came up to her and respectfully asked for a dance she gave him her hand and they hastened to take their places in the same quadrille with madame de goix the powdered or frizzled hair of the other ladies and their toilettes which recalled the bygone days of the exiled court looked ridiculous when confronted with the magnificent simplicity of the elegant costume which the prevailing fashion of the day permitted mademoiselle de vernoy to wear the ladies condemned it aloud and inwardly envied her the men were never weary of admiring the effect of so simple a way of dressing the hair and every detail about her dress which owed all its charm to the graceful outlines which it displayed the marquis and the count returned to the ballroom and stood behind mademoiselle de vernoy who did not turn her head but even if a mirror opposite to her had not informed her of the marquis's presence she would have learned it from the face of madame de goix whose apparent carelessness concealed but ill the anxiety with which she awaited the dispute that must sooner or later take place between the lovers although montauron was talking with the count and with two other persons he could overhear the chat of his neighbors and of each pair of dancers as in the shifting figures of the quadrille they stood for a moment where mademoiselle de vernoy had been oh mon dieu yes madame she came here by herself said one she must be very fearless his partner replied if i had dressed myself like that i should feel as if i had no clothes on said another lady oh the costume is indelicate her cavalier answered but she is so pretty and it is very becoming to her look at her she dances so perfectly that it makes one blush for her is she not exactly like an opera girl the envious lady inquired do you think that she can have come here to treat with us in the name of the first consul asked a third lady what a joke said her partner she will scarcely bring innocence with her as a dowry laughed the lady 
the gars turned sharply round to see the speaker who had ventured to make such an epigram and madame du gois gave him a look which said distinctly you see what they think of her madame the count said jestingly to marie's enemy only ladies have so far deprived her of it in his heart the marquis forgave the count for all his offences he ventured to glance at his mistress her loveliness was enhanced as is nearly always the case with women by the candlelight she reached her place her back was turned towards him but as she talked with her partner the persuasive tones of her voice reached the marquis the first consul is sending us very formidable ambassadors her partner remarked that has been said already sir at the vivetiere she replied your memory is as good as the king's returned the gentleman vexed at his own awkwardness offences must be clearly kept in mind if they are to be forgiven she said quickly and a smile released him from his predicament are all of us included in the amnesty the marquis asked but she flung herself into the dance with childish enthusiasm leaving him confused and with his question unanswered she saw how he was watching her in sullen gloom and bent her head in a coquettish manner which displayed the symmetry of her neck heedful at the same time to omit no movement which could reveal the wonderful grace of her form marie's beauty was attractive as hope and elusive as memory to see her thus was to wish to possess her at any cost she knew this and the consciousness of her own beauty made her face at that moment radiant with indescribable loveliness the marquis felt a tempest of love anger and madness raging in his heart he wrung the count's hand and withdrew ah has he gone away asked mademoiselle de vernoy when she came back to her place the count hurried into the adjoining room and thence brought back the gars making a significant gesture for the lady to whom he had extended his protection he is mine she said within herself as she studied the marquis in the mirror his face was somewhat agitated but he was radiant with hope she received the young chief ungraciously and did not vouchsafe a word to him but she smiled as she turned away she saw him so far above the others that she felt proud of her tyrannous power over him guided by an instinct that all women obey more or less she determined to make him pay a heavy price for a few kind words in order that he might learn their value when the quadrille came to an end all the gentlemen who had been at the vivetiere came about marie each one endeavoring to obtain her forgiveness for his mistake by compliments more or less neatly turned but he whom she would fain have seen at her feet 
kept away from her little court. He thinks that I love him yet, she said to herself, and he will not make one among those to whom I am indifferent. She declined to dance. Then, as if the ball had been given in her honor, she went from quadrille to quadrille, leaning upon the arm of the Comte de Beauvin, with whom it pleased her to appear to be on familiar terms. There was no one present who did not know the whole history of what had happened at the Vivetiere, down to the smallest detail, thanks to Madame de Gois, who hoped, by this very publicity given to the affairs of Mademoiselle de Vernoy and the Marquis, to put a further hindrance to any understanding between them. In this way the two estranged lovers became objects of general interest. Montauron did not dare to approach his mistress. The recollection of her wrongs and the vehemence of his reawakened desires made her almost terrible in his eyes and the young girl, though she seemed to give her attention to the dancers, was watching his face and its forced composure. "'It is dreadfully hot in here,' she said to her cavalier. "'I see that Monsieur de Montauron's forehead is quite damp. Will you take me across to the other side, so that I can breathe? This is stifling.' With a movement of the head she indicated the next room, where a few card-players were sitting. The Marquis followed her, as if he had guessed at the words from the movements of her lips. He even hoped that she had left the crowd in order to see him once more, and with this hope the violence of his passion grew with redoubled force after the restraint that he had imposed upon himself for the last few days it pleased mademoiselle de vernoy to torment the young chief those eyes of hers so like velvet and so gentle for the count became cold and gloomy for him if he met their gaze by chance montauron made an effort that seemed to cost him something and said in an uncertain voice will you never forgive me Love forgives nothing unless it forgives everything, she said in a dry, indifferent tone. Then, as she saw him give a sudden start of joy, she added, But it must be love. She rose, took the Count's arm, and hastened to a little sitting-room adjoining the card-room. The Marquis followed her thither. You shall hear me he cried. "'You will make others imagine, sir,' she replied, "'that I came here on your account, and not out of respect for myself. If you will not desist from this detestable persecution, I shall go.' Then he bethought himself of one of the wildest extravagances of the last Duke of Lorraine. "'Let me speak to you,' he entreated, only for so long as I can keep this coal in my hand. He stooped, snatched up a firebrand from the hearth, and held it in a strenuous grasp. 
mademoiselle de verneuil reddened drew her arm quickly from the count and looked in amazement at the marquis the count softly withdrew and left the lovers alone nothing is so convincing in a lover as some piece of splendid folly his mad courage had shaken marie's very heart you simply show me she said trying to compel him to drop the coal that you would be capable of giving me over to the worst of torture you are all for extremes you believed the evidence of a fool and a woman's slander you suspected that she who came to save your life was capable of betraying you yes he said smiling i have been cruel to you but you must forget that i shall never forget it ah hear me i was infamously deceived but so many things on that wretched day all told against you and those things were enough to extinguish your love he hesitated a moment with a scornful movement she rose marie he said just now i wish to believe you and you only then drop that coal you must be mad open your hand do as i wish he delighted in the feeble resistance he made to her gentle efforts he wanted to prolong the keen pleasure that he felt in the pressure of her little fingers but she succeeded at last in opening the hand she felt she could have kissed the fire had been extinguished in blood now she said what was the use of doing that she tore little strips from her handkerchief and dressed the wound it was not very serious and the marquis easily concealed it under his glove madame du gois came into the card-room on tiptoe and furtively watched the lovers cleverly keeping herself out of their sight noting from behind them their slightest movements yet she found it difficult to guess at their talk from anything that she saw them do if everything that you have heard against me were true admit at least that now i am well avenged said marie there was a malignity in her expression that made the marquis turn pale what feeling was it that brought you here my dear boy you are a great coxcomb do you think you can insult such a woman as i am with impunity i came here for your sake and for mine she added after a pause laying her hand on the cluster of rubies at her breast and showing him the blade of a poniard what does all this mean meditated madame du gois but you love me still marie went on or at least you wish for me and that piece of folly of yours she said taking the hand in hers made it clear to me i am again as i had wished to be and i shall go away happy those who love us we always forgive and i i am loved i have regained the respect the man who is for me the whole world i could die now 
you love me yet said the marquis did i say so she replied she laughed she was happy for ever since her arrival she had made the marquis feel increasing torment but had i not some sacrifices to make in order to come here for i saved monsieur bovin from death she went on and he more grateful than you has offered me his name and fortune in return for my protection that idea never entered your mind her last words astonished the marquis the count appeared to have made a fool of him he struggled with a feeling of anger stronger than any that he had yet known and did not reply ah you are deliberating she said with a bitter smile mademoiselle your misgivings justify mine let us go back said mademoiselle de vernoy who caught a glimpse of madame de goise robe in the card-room marie rose but a wish to torment her rival made her hesitate a little do you want to plunge me into hell asked the marquis taking her hand and holding it tightly where did you plunge me five days ago and now now at this moment are you not leaving me in cruel suspense as to the sincerity of your love how do i know that your vengeance may not go so far as this to take possession of my whole life so that you may sully it rather than compass my death ah you do not love me you only think of yourself and not of me she said with angry tears in her eyes the coquette knew well the power of those eyes of hers when they were drowned in tears take my life then said the marquis now quite beside himself but dry those tears oh my love she murmured the words the tones the look that i waited for to wish for thy happiness rather than mine but my lord she resumed i ask for one last proof of your affection that you tell me is so great i can stay here only for a little only for the time needed to make sure that you are mine i shall not take even a glass of water in this house where a woman lives who has twice tried to murder me who at this moment perhaps is planning some treachery against us both and who is listening to us at this moment she added pointing out to the marquis the floating folds of madame de goise robe then she dried her tears and bent to the ear of the young noble who trembled to feel her soft breath on him prepare everything so that we can go she said you will take me back to fougeres and there you shall know whether i love you or no for the second time i trust in you will you too trust a second time in me ah marie you have led me on till i scarcely know what i am doing your words your looks your presence intoxicate me i am ready to do everything you wish well then give me one moment's bliss let me enjoy the only triumph for which i have longed 
i want to breathe freely once more to live the life of my dreams to take my fill of illusions before they leave me let us go come and dance with me they went back again together into the ballroom for her the gratification of heart and of vanity had been as complete as a woman can know but her inscrutable soft eyes the mysterious smile about her mouth and her swift movements in the excited dance kept the secret of mademoiselle de vernoy's thoughts as the sea buries the secret of some criminal who has given a heavy corpse into its keeping yet a murmur of admiration went through the room as she turned to her lover's arms for the waltz and closely interlocked with drooping heads and languid eyes they swayed voluptuously round and round clasping each other in a kind of frenzy revealing all their hopes of pleasure from a closer union go and see if piamiche is in the camp count said madame de goix to monsieur de bauvon bring him to me and for this little service you may assure yourself that you shall receive anything that you will ask of me even my hand my revenge will cost me dear she said as she saw him go but it shall not fail this time End of section twenty two